welcome to episode 74 of My Pocket Psych, the podcast all about the psychology of the workplace. I'm Dr. Richard McKinnon, and once again, I'm joined by my co-host, Pilar Orti. This time around, we discuss how two topics that we've recently discussed on the podcast could potentially combine what it's like to work remotely from your colleagues and what it's like to feel like you're a bit of an imposter. I mentioned uh, a recent webinar I ran on imposter syndrome, and I can confirm that the recording of this is now available on our YouTube channel. So if you missed the live event, you can go and watch it there. If you're enjoying these videos, then consider subscribing to the channel and you'll be automatically notified about any new videos that we put up there. As I mentioned, they're not Hollywood productions, but they are uh, reasonably okay recordings of the live webinars where I share some information and I take questions from the audience. You can find out all, all about this at worklifepsych.com slash YouTube. Thanks for listening. Pilar, hi, how are you? I'm all right, I'm all right. <laughs> Just all right. Yes, no, I, I, to be honest, I'm good. Thank you for asking. I hope you're doing well too. Yes. In fact, after a few days of pretty crummy weather here in London, I managed to get some morning sunshine before I came into my office and walked along the docks. And it was really, really nice. And I'm glad I did because it's had another turn for the worse since I did it. So I managed to soak up some really nice but unexpected sunshine before I started my working day. It makes all the difference. It does. It, it was beautiful this morning. I also got that walk at nine o'clock. I try and avoid 8.30 because we, I've got all the uh, school traffic, both the cars and the people walking. So mm. um, it's really nice. Yeah, the sun is absolutely wonderful. I'm, I'm, I'm uh, practicing what I preach with my daily walk. I realize when I'm doing resilience-based work with teams or individuals, we talk about these small things a lot. And so I don't feel very authentic if I don't follow through myself <laughs> when I talk about it. So it's nice to get these things yes. done uh, before you get too busy, busy. So um, today we're going to, we're going to chat about a couple of things, but they're really related, actually. I thought we'd loop back and have a chat about the conversation I had with Rachel Skews last time, which was all around imposter syndrome, and then talk a little bit about online collaboration, because those can go together really nicely, on the back of the webinar mm. that you and I um, co-facilitated uh, a short time ago. It feels like forever ago, but it's a very short time ago that we did that. Um, well, let's start with with um, with Rachel and our discussion about imposter syndrome. Did did you get a chance to to hear the conversation I had with her? Because you weren't on that episode. I did. I did have it, and I really enjoyed it. And I I thought it was really interesting that it was precisely a year ago that you'd recorded with her and Skype told you. <laughs> freakish, yes, really yes. freakish. <laughs> it's also, by the way, uh, Richard. Today you announced on Twitter we're recording on the fourteenth of October, twenty twenty, that it was the third anniversary of my pocket psych. It is this week. I had to look it up. I had a vague inkling it was soon-ish. And um, so I looked it up and um, it was, it's, it's the first episode, I believe, went out on the 18th of October. Uh, that's a, that's a Sunday. So I thought I would mark it today. And I don't know about you, but that's been a very quick three years for me. 
Yeah, it, it, it's gone fast. It doesn't feel like three years. So that's a good thing. Yeah. Um, so anyway, sorry to derail again, but going back to... No, no, no. I was going to say a quick three years apart from 2020, which has felt like five yes. years, but that's a, that's a whole different topic. That's true. <laughs> that's very true. Um, so yes, the conversation with Rachel, so last episode, I I did listen to it. I really, I, I really liked uh, both your honesty, but both both your honesties, so the honesty from both of you. Um, and and I loved, I made some notes about some stuff that she says, like someone's going to, oh, sorry, listeners, if you haven't uh, listened to the show, it's about imposter syndrome. And she was saying, yeah, someone's going to realize I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> that happens to me mm-hmm. all the time because <laughs> I talk a lot uh, and, and one day I'm going to be found out. So I, I really, uh, a lot of it resonated with me. I think... There's a couple of things there. One, it's really useful to talk about imposter syndrome. It's really useful to talk about these thoughts so that we can do something to normalize the experience and let most people know that this is something that most people will experience at least from time to time. And it relates, secondly, really closely to the use of self that we uh, emphasize when we're we're doing act-based coaching, acceptance and commitment theory coaching, that you know, maybe in more traditional or established coaching methods, it, the emphasis is on the coach remaining very objective and being a bit of a blank slate and really focusing on the coachee. But in act-based coaching, we often talk about our own experience, not not to use ourselves as a role model, but maybe to normalize some of that stuff. And um, both Rachel and I have done that in our coaching. We've used examples. I think we used kind of extreme examples in, in, in that discussion, but also the everyday, you know, the doubt that spills over into getting stuck in your mind. And, and that's where it's problematic. You know, self-doubt is maybe helpful if you're going to do something daft, but if it stops you from doing anything and you, you kind of get paralyzed by irrational fear, then, then it's a real problem. Yeah, and the conversation really helped me. So listeners, if you are, if, if this is starting to resonate with you, if you basically think, yeah, I'm just making it up and I'm going to be found out, uh, I do suggest you listen to it. There was something, well, there's a couple of things that I also took down. One is along the lines of what I was saying about, she said, uh, I wonder when they'll sack me <laughs> from like mm-hmm. even, even to that, to that point. Uh, and a lot of the time, I think these are uh, thoughts that come and then they go. Uh, and I suppose the worry is that we stick to them, that we hold on to them, like you say. But what I thought was really interesting, and it helped me to get through it, is that this tends to surface when the work matters to you. And I thought, okay, so actually, I'm going to now embrace that I'm having these thoughts, because it means, okay, I I care, I still care, I want to do my best. So even just that conversation, it, it helped me to process some of what I'm going through along those lines. And actually just go, okay, well, there's there's an upside to why I'm having those thoughts. This is it. This is it exactly. Rather than trying to wrestle with them, um, debate them, uh, remove them, extinguish them, it's like, why am I having them? Where might they be coming from? What might they be trying to tell me? And spotting those patterns, like it happens with these people or in these situations or like when the work really matters to me, it helps you understand what those emotions and what those thoughts are trying to tell you. They're a bit of a blunt instrument, but if you can explore the meaning of them, then they're less of a blunt instrument and they're less of a a threat and more of an indication. And that takes some of the sting, some of the power out of them. But core to this, this 
entire approach is you can feel that, you can think that, but you can do something completely different. So you can feel full of self-doubt and worry that people are doubting you, and yet you can act in a way that looks like confidence because you know what to do. You know, and that's very different to say blagging it or fake it till you make it. This is, you, you know how to do this. You have concerns about it, but you know how to do it. So do it. And um, that, that's very different to remove those thoughts. Stop thinking that way. Think positive. That just gets you wrapped up in the thoughts and, and stuck in your head. And I think just taking it broader than the imposter syndrome, it's, I suppose it's, Uh, listening to the discomfort to see what it's telling you. So, for example, sometimes this, this oh, they're going to find me out might mean that I care. It might mean that, well, I, I know for me, it's when I'm being pushed to my out of my, just the edge of my comfort zone or, or a, bit, a bit. I've just been pushed a little bit out and I really am at that point where I can probably do it, but actually I'm, yeah, I'm having to work hard at this and there is a possibility that I will mess up, but that doesn't mean that I don't know what I'm doing. It just means that context uh, hasn't been explored before or I haven't been in that specific situation before. So I also think that as a, as a thought that's bringing discomfort, for me, it's interesting to see what it's telling me about my relationship with the situation. And then you can see whether you go, well, okay, fine, and move on, or actually whether you do need to do something about it, because it might be telling you to really revisit, I imagine, something. Not, not specifically the imposter syndrome, but any kind of discomfort. Exactly. It, it can be a really useful flashing light yeah. indicator. Pay attention to something. What's that trying to tell you? Um, but we then have to figure out what to do. But that's great. Mm. You know, if you notice it, it's great. You can then decide how you want to act rather than act automatically uh, in a way that's maybe not so not so helpful. And and it comes back to a topic we looked at previously when we looked at that flens of, excuse me, that flexible sense of self. Um, showing up flexibly as part of the uh, psychological flexibility series, you know, not, not rating yourself in global terms, not evaluating yourself completely based on one or two either um, elements of your status or feedback you've received or your performance. You know, we're so much more than all of those things combined. But it's very closely linked to this, you know, along the lines of, I'm only as good as the last piece of feedback I get. Mm -hmm. And even then, I doubt that feedback because <laughs> it's positive. So there must be something else and I'm missing out on it, you know. Um, so being able to see yourself as much more complex and interesting than whatever it is that you're hung up on. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think I, it was a really interesting point that Rachel made that, you know, being challenged as to whether this is a syndrome at all, if it is such a general experience. And I think like most things, it's on a continuum. Um, that for some people it is hugely problematic and is holding them back in terms of life, success, happiness, fulfillment. And then there's many more of us who have blips along the way when you are kind of gripped by um, concerns about what other people think of you as a person rather than your work. And I think for me, a big life lesson working has been to be able to distinguish between those two things. Someone could give you an enormous amount of feedback on something you've produced, but that does not equal feedback on you as a person. And being able to do that leads to fewer 
uh, sleepless nights. Yes, that's true. <laughs> that is very true. And then finally, I just encourage listeners, if you haven't listened to it, to um, to listen to that episode, episode 73, just to hear your experience, <laughs> which I'm not going to tell again. But uh, yeah, your wh- what happened when you uh, when you uh, were, I don't know how do you call it in, I can't remember how you say in English, when you've presented your dissertation. Oh, the Viva uh, The Viva, exam. yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> in, in Spanish, they say that you're defending your thesis. I don't think you, yeah, you yep. The same. People say oh, yeah, that as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, so I, I listeners do go and listen uh, to that episode. Of course, for all these things, and it's a really nice conversation, also. Uh, but also to hear this story from Richard. Well, I could chat to Rachel all day long, and we have obviously in the past done that. Um, but thanks again to her for for taking the time, uh, especially as she's just started a new job and is um, is really quite. Um, you know, active and focused on that at the moment. So that was, that was really good. In, in between these two conversations, I thought of another example and I thought I might share it today. That's much, um, I think lighter and funnier, but I, I was, um, you know, periodically you clear out your wallet or you try and minimize the amount of rubbish you're carrying around with you. And I was kind of challenged by someone pointing out, why do you have this membership card of the British Psychological Society? Like, I don't know anyone that carries that. You get one, mm-hmm. you know, that proves your, your status uh, as a psychologist. I thought, I don't know why I keep carrying it around with me. But then I thought, I thought, I, maybe one day I'll have to prove to someone <laughs> that I am actually what I say I am. And as soon as the words left my mouth, I thought, I need to get this card out of my wallet. It <laughs> serves no purpose. And I can't, in the real world, think of a situation where I could prove my occupation with a piece of plastic. Wow. Um, but that, that's an example of, you know, my mind giving me these images of one day, this is the only thing between you and people not believing you are who you say you are. <laughs> Brilliant. Very strange. <laughs> Brilliant. So listen, you and I mm. did our first ever co-facilitated webinar uh, a short time ago. Um, and by that, I mean the first time we'd worked together on a live webinar, which was which was great. And it was, um, we called it about um, online collaboration. But in addition to that, it was, you know, in this in this phase we're going through at the moment with lots of people having to work at home, how can we better work in a collaborative and asynchronous way, if that works, um, you know, mediated by technology and what are the kind of principles that we could think about while doing this. And um, I have to say it was a real eye-opener for me. I learned a lot in preparing this with you. Um, and anyway, listeners, if you've missed it, and I can't believe you missed <laughs> it, but if you missed it, just like all of the other work-life webinars, the recording is available on our YouTube channel, and you can find that at worklifepsych.com slash YouTube because the YouTube URL is insanely long and impossible to remember. So I have a redirect working there to send it to the channel. And I think it's the eighth of our webinars that's been recorded there. But anyway, um, lovely doing it with you. Pilar, what, what, what were your thoughts on, on the conversation we had and the topics we covered? Well, um, first to say, uh, listeners can also Google, that's how I find it, Work Life Psych YouTube, and it will take you to the channel. It's one of those times that Google works beautifully, but maybe, yeah, just yeah, try it, listeners, let us know. So, yeah, I. so what was interesting for me, as well as, 
I love working with other people for a couple of reasons. Well, one for me, it, it's a lot of fun. Uh, I'm I'm an introvert, but I'm also a real um, native collaborator. So I've got <laughs> I've got that fight between wanting to do things uh, in my own little world and also just getting energy from from other people. Uh, and the other reason why I like doing stuff with other people is because I learn at the same time as I'm a I'm a um, quite an introvert. I'm also uh, I learn, but through experience. When I usually if I want to learn how to do something I do it rather than go and read about it so preparing something with you when I'm used to a lot of what we were talking about which is the asynchronous work practices in remote work it was really beautiful to really go back to basics and go back to why are we even talking about doing asynchronous work why do we want to be using tools where we leave messages for each other and then come back to them a few hours or even days later why are we talking about that and giving it as an option to having lots of online meetings so just go that made me really think okay really need to it's it's almost like stuff that I've been taking for granted that this is how you should do it really go back and pull back and go right why why are you suggesting mm. this to people who've never encountered this principle before to this extent? Because, of course, for those of us who've been using email as an asynchronous tool, which it was designed to be, we are used to it. We're used to leaving phone messages in people's, uh, you know, messages, not just can you call me, but also a, bit, a long message with information on answering machines. Uh, we drop text messages all the time to some people. We've been dropping emails. So it's... We're doing some kind of asynchronous communication is not unusual. I think to the extent that we need to do it when we work in a remote team, that was uh, what was different. And I really needed to get my head around that. You, you know, you've listed all of those um, media, those channels, and yes, you can use those in an asynchronous way. And yet we've all experienced it when people don't yeah. use it that way <laughs> and they email you and expect yeah. you to read the email just as soon as it lands they text and expect the text back immediately so i think it's really appropriate to go back to basics and say what do we mean by asynchronous work and and how do we do that and and you know the work is there and it's done when people turn to it rather than everyone's doing it at the same time. And I think I use the phrase like a, a breadcrumb trail of information that when I go to the system, uh, whatever app we use, when I go there, I can see what's been done. I can see why it's been done. I can see the questions for me. I can see the work I need to do. I can see the updates. I'm wholly independent of the other people I work with for that moment in time. And that's very different to if we want to do work, we all need to be at it at the same time. And I think that's one of the big problems that's come up. My big takeaway was the pitfall of trying to recreate the co-located physical office using this kind of technology. It just doesn't work. Mm. And I think what's happened then, why we did the webinar also was because there is a, we call it Zoom fatigue, uh, but uh, there's, mm. there's been an overkill with online meetings with video. And you were mentioning that earlier to me, um, that because video works so well now and because everyone had this sense that they wanted to feel as close to each other as possible and, as you're saying, mirroring as much as possible uh, the life as we not knew it, work life as we knew it, we, I think we've overdone video. 
because um, mm-hmm. we've overdone meetings, but I think we've also overdone video. And what's really interesting is in the online space for many years, um, a lot of people have been advocating, please turn your camera on, turn your camera on, turn your camera on. No one would turn it on before. And now it's almost like if you don't want to turn on your camera, it's a bad thing. Uh, and actually, um, I've, I would suggest that you can have meetings without your camera on and that we should be giving room to people who have spent quite a few hours in front of the screen to then have a meeting and use just their hearing if we, if we can do that. Uh, because I think that's really, yeah, I think the, the video thing, because it works so well and because we're so attached to it, I think that is also something we need to revisit. I, I had that very question on a training course I was running the other day. H- how do you make a colleague who won't turn their video on, how do you make them turn it on? And so we had to go kind of full circle around what are your expectations? Are they shared? Why do you need their video on for you to work with them? Um, can you get in their shoes and imagine maybe they've had eight hours of video meetings already? Um, all of the reasons why you might not want to turn it on. And, and this, this comes back to a point we went into in some detail, which was, you know, it works for me syndrome. Mm. You know, this setup works for me. So I assume everyone else will have the same experience. And in fact, there's lots of reasons. You might want to share your private home with people. Maybe it's a mess. Maybe you've got people in the room and they don't want to be seen on the camera. I've, I've seen lots of examples of that this year. People sharing a home and they're sharing a room while they're working. So, you know, they, they want privacy. They, they, they don't want to be part of this meeting, of this call. And, and I think in addition to the work piece, there's also lots of well-intentioned, but ultimately exhausting video-based socializing where people, where employers have said, look, we're in lockdown, particularly in the early days, we're in lockdown, we want to look after people, let's organize a quiz, a video quiz um, on Friday night. And to be honest, once you've been on video calls all day, every day for five days, is that is that really what you want? Is that going to meet your needs for socializing? Um, and is it not detracting from from private time and so on? And I think for many people, it's got to that point now where they just want to break from the co-located style of working because it seems to all be mediated by video. And that's more exhausting. Yeah. And and on top of that, so we've got that. And I think we're already realizing that, that we can't translate all our conversations into video. And then we've got the asynchronous space, which is what we looked at um, in the in the webinar, which is how can we use spaces like Kanban boards, like uh, um, text-based chat tools, which we use asynchronously, uh, anything, whatever, documents, how can we use those? And I think that we need to even reconsider how we're using those because if we just translate how we're working in the co-located space, we usually do something and at some point we communicate that we've done something. But in the asynchronous space, you can do that as you go along. Like you can be communicating about your collaboration in real time without having to have the other person. So it's not that we use the asynchronous space um, in the same way as we would have a, a meeting. We need to start to break down how we're working together and I think, we, yeah, and think about what information people need at different times rather than everything in the same space at the same time. I don't know if I'm making any sense. If I'm not, please explain it to the listeners. <laughs> no, you are. And I think if we, if we took the example we shared of Trello, you know, it's just one app out there, but, but Trello allows you to dip in and out of different discussions without receiving all 
emails. You know, the, the discussion is there for you to see if you want to see it. The questions are directed at you as an individual if you need to respond to them. But you are not, you're not sitting there waiting for things to appear in Trello. You've got things to do and you check in, um, which is very different to we're all in the same room. We're all looking at each other and we're all talking about the same topic at the same time. And that's the only way we can get work done. Um, and you can use these online tools and be synchronous. Um, you know, you can be live, but it doesn't require that. And of course, different work, different mm. um, outputs will require different levels of contact and um, working at the same time and using the same tools. But it's probably going to be a mix, right? If there's more homework and going on, there's going to be more people working separate to each other in a collaborative way, but not everyone can be connected to each other at the same time all the time. So there's going to have to be a level of this. And I think it's another example, and I said it previously, this is something people need to learn how to do, not figure out through making loads of mistakes and being really stressed out by it. And so I think organizations need to provide some direction. And especially if we're working in teams, we need to have that conversation, which can, uh, to, to quote a word I used in the webinar, couldn't be quite icky uh, because, we're, yeah. because we're not used to saying, oh, how are we going to communicate? Because we've been a team for maybe years and we know we know each other well and we don't need to revisit that, but actually we do. And the work is, a, you're mentioning the, the different kinds of work we're doing, the different levels of interdependence that we have between each other and our tasks and isn't it a great opportunity to see okay what does our work require does our work require that we check in with each other in a stand-up fashion every day by video between 9 and 9 30 maybe uh, does our work require that we have an intensive uh, uh, co-creation session or discussion at the beginning of the week and then we're just available to each other if we are needed but we don't have to share in more real time and now is the moment to do that now is the moment to go what does our work need from us as, as collaborators and not just what have we been doing and especially not what we have, were doing at the beginning of lockdown because that was very very intense and satisfying other needs apart from the work that was needed yes. um, I think we also need to 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 see what and and it, and like you always say Richard it's there's no right or wrong way of doing this we just need to understand why we're doing certain things question some of those things and and for me um, again something I've, I've been speaking a lot about with clients lately has been the concept of interdependence and for people to think more about the nature of the interdependence in their team and between teams so you know to to, to pick one very simple example do we work in sequence are we interdependent in a way that I'm almost like on a production line and I can't do my bit until you've done your bit or is this more pooled and we pull our outputs into something to make something. And just those two examples of, of the two different ways that interdependence can show up, th that will have a huge impact on how we work collaboratively, how we use systems, when we're live, when we're asynchronous, when we work alone, and when we have to be in live contact as a team. You need to work through that thinking process rather than we're all live all the time. Uh, and this isn't even anything to do with trust as much as it is to do with familiarity. We're used to working in a co, many of us in a co-located space when you can see everyone. When you don't have that, the context has changed. 
you need to notice that difference and change with it and find a new way of working, of using the technology that better suits the new context. And talking of uh, interdependence, it's also interesting to see what those, um, the way in which we are dependent on each other for our tasks, how that is helping connection and sense of connection. So it could be that uh, you're talking of sequential um, uh, uh, task, uh, interdependent, sorry, where you do something, then I pick up, blah, 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 blah. That probably means we don't need a lot of uh, um, very, uh, a lot of real-time communication. So maybe mm-hmm. the real-time communication in that team can be that social time because we're going to miss out, if not on that sense of connection. Whereas if we have uh, reciprocal, for example, interdependence, where we have to be going backwards and forwards a lot, even mm. asynchronously, then maybe we don't have to pay as much attention uh, to having those other uh, types of connection. Um, So I think also as we design the work, just see, okay, we need this kind of communication and what is that going to do to our sense of connection and then go from there also. Exactly. It it is, as you say, taking a step back and looking at it um, from this new perspective and asking what's going to work best not simply doing what we've always done or just falling into the habit of video calls for everything. Um, Because the asynchronous uh, approach also gives people the flexibility that so many people have reported um, enjoying this year, that flexibility of when they do the work. They're already working at home, but how they prioritize and organize their day, they don't want to give that up. And if you just copy a nine to five or an eight till six working day, then you're taking that away from people and you're forgetting how they're benefiting from that flexibility and how their productivity has gone up um, during during lockdown. And as always in, in this show, Richard, we always cover vo- both sides of the story. So I thought the very important part we had in the webinar was when we looked at the people that might be left behind by introducing some of these new practices. Um, for mm. example, we're talking a lot about using text because most of the apps that we use asynchronously have been designed to work with text. But for example, my great friend uh, Helena, who lives in Sweden, and we we chat maybe once real time, like once every two months or something, but we do a lot of um, Slack. Uh, we, we use the direct messages. We always take a few days to reply to each other. And over the last couple of days, uh, we've left voice notes for each other. So we've just recorded it on our phone and left it there. And we, you know, whenever she was ready, she read it. She also left me some pictures of some mushrooms she'd been picking. Um, and I think that, well, that's really interesting that I had a tech, text from her. I also had a voice note. So I heard her, I heard her laugh. I laughed a lot when I heard her. And I also saw some pictures, even if they were of mushrooms. So I think also that's another way that maybe we haven't been using the online space for before. Uh, we've probably only used it to send text to each other. Uh, but how else can we use it so that we can have a broader uh, range of ways of expressing ourselves so that different people can pick where they, how they express themselves best? Exactly, exactly. The, there are so many different ways we can communicate, share information, share content, make our points that um, ideally a team should be open to doing that, whatever works you know, best is collectively, but also for the individual. We don't default to maybe what people have always done. Forgetting that diversity, forgetting that diversity of approaches, never mind any other kind mm, of diversity. Yeah. 
So, I mean, I, I really enjoyed doing that. I hope we get the chance to, to do another one um, together in the future. It's one of a series. We're going to run these through to the end of uh, 2020. And all of them, uh, cognizant of the fact that we, I know we have listeners all over the place and uh, 2 p.m. London time isn't perfect for everybody, all of them will go on the, the YouTube channel so you'll be able to watch them at some point. Um, and of course, all, all of those can be found on that. Um, and the by the time you're listening to this, I will have um, recorded another webinar or run another webinar and put it out there. And that will be about imposter syndrome. Um, because these two conversations that we've had, both last episode and the one before that, really got me thinking about this topic and how people are feeling it at the moment. So um, if you've um, enjoyed the last two episodes and you think you'd like to know a little bit more about that, you can watch that recording that will be um, on the YouTube channel. And I want to offer people an interactive experience so they can ask more questions uh, in, a, in a live environment. So that will be out there as well. Now, if you're thinking about other topics that you'd like us to cover, by all means, get in touch. Uh, send us a message on Twitter at MyPocketPsych or a longer one on the contact form at worklifepsych.com slash contact. If you think there's something that we could do a good job of, webinar style, and um, make it nice and interactive, by all means, we'd, we'd love to hear. Um, the, the program is being added to all the time, and these take place every two weeks. So I'm all ears. I love inspiration. And if it's relevant to you, then it's relevant to me, as long as it's something I can talk, talk about. <laughs> Let's keep it within the world of work. <laughs> So, um, Pilar, anything else to, to add to these related topics of imposter syndrome and uh, online collaboration? Um, no, just uh, get in touch if you have any further thoughts. I would love to hear from listeners. I think we have so many people who are experiencing this at the moment and so many people who are maybe experiencing working at home for the first time. I would really like to hear how that's going for you. Maybe what the change has been like. Uh, over the last few months, uh, maybe what you've learned about yourself, learned about your colleagues, what kind of rhythms, use of technology have you arrived at? Um, and, uh, and if you're running an organization or you're responsible for this kind of thing, I'd also love to hear from you. How have you implemented it? What have you learned over the last few months? Because, you know, we were in a crisis. I think there's an opportunity to move beyond crisis mentality now and think about the lessons learned so that we could all have a better experience of that should we go into a lockdown again. So, Pilar, shall we wrap it up there? Yes, let's wrap up episode yeah, 74. <laughs> 74, we're getting dangerously yes. close to another big number. Wow, that could be a question uh, for listeners. What should we cover in episode 100? Yeah, <laughs> I thought you were going to say 75. Oh, no. <laughs> um, yes, yes. Well, I mean, as ever, you know, yes. at, at any point, um, let us know what you, you think we could, uh, we could focus on. We try and keep it contemporary, um, you know, based on what's happening in the world. But there are also some evergreen topics that people are interested in. So have a look at what we've done before. If you want us to revisit anything or you've got a perspective that's a little bit different on something, let us know. And if you are a practitioner and you think... You know, you've got expertise in a certain area. Get in touch and we can do an interview and um, bring you on the show. So, yes, we'll definitively wrap it up now, <laughs> Pilar. Uh, love it to speak with you again. And uh, listeners, um, as ever, thank you for listening. 
Thanks for downloading this episode of My Pocket Psych. To get in touch with questions and feedback, you can tweet us at worklifepsych or leave us a message on the contact form at www.worklifepsych.com/contact. Thanks for listening.